This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, MD Advantage, UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, a show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to have you here on this Saturday, uh, a great football Saturday. As you know, UConn has moved their game up from 7 p.m. tonight to noon. Why? Because of Eastern Equine Encephalitis. You see, everything comes down to health. So we have changed sports schedules. We've had to change our lives because of this outbreak. We now have three Connecticut residents who have died from this, all of them in the eastern, southeastern Connecticut area. There's a fourth still hospitalized. This is something that's been around a long time. The problem is that with changes in climate, we have these cycles now. Now, this is really the worst cycle we've had, and it will last for about three years if you talk to epidemiologists. Uh, probably not as bad as this, but this has been the worst in the sense that it has resulted in these deaths. It has also resulted in changing the way we do things. And unless you understand that we have to start changing the way we do things in this world, we're going to have a lot of problems. So with that, uh, they are moving their game. They moved their game up to noon. Um, I will be at the Coast Guard Academy later on today as they play Catholic University. I'm happy to have as my guest uh, here in the studio, uh, she'll be with us, Dr. Kristen Zarfos. Dr. Zarfos is the medical director of the Carl J. Krapek Senior Comprehensive Women's Health Center at St. Francis Hospital. That's a mouthful. She's a breast surgeon. She is an expert on breast cancer. And that's what we're going to be talking about that because anybody who's anybody in this country knows that October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And we do our best to really get good information out there. So we're going to be chatting with her. This day in medicine, October 5th, 1823, was the day the first issue of Lancet was published. Lancet is the medical journal of the United Kingdom. It's actually a worldwide journal. Interestingly, I had it on my desk last night uh, and uh, was reviewing it as I was preparing this. So it was 1823. But one thing I really wanted to talk about was on this day in 1978, the New England Journal of Medicine declared that professional courtesy was now obsolete. And that made me wonder a little bit about how did we get the term professional courtesy, right? Professional courtesy, as we understand it, is two people in the same profession extend a courtesy of some type, sometimes financial. But what I did not know was that it really dates back to Hippocrates, and it was a custom among physicians. And the reason was that they didn't want physicians treating themselves or their families. Now, back then in those days, Physicians didn't even come up to the level of middle class. So they were essentially impoverished. So in order to do that, 
a physician was not expected to ever bill another physician for treating that physician or their family members. And throughout time, in 1803, Thomas Percival wrote a classic essay on medical ethics, which again endorsed the complementary professional care extended to all members of the medical profession. So this is a long-time tradition among physicians, but it's changed. And I have to say, as a medical student, um, I was the beneficiary, as were many medical students, of the professional courtesy, uh, and and it extended uh, a lot at that time. But the reason it's ended is because, guess what? It's not just a physician extending service to somebody anymore, right? There's co-pays. There are deductibles if you have insurance. There are a lot of different ways. So there's no way to really do that in this complex system. But I, I I just thought it was so interesting, the fact that it went all the way back to Hippocrates and why it did. So anyhow, despite the uh, New England Journal saying the professional courtesy is obsolete, uh, I think it goes on to some extent in every profession. And I think you see that across the board. And it's just a nice thing to do. Uh, The flu vaccine. Folks, get the flu vaccine. I know I harp on this, but... It's flu season. It's time to get it. I just got mine this week. I had to get the double dose because I'm 65 in a few weeks, and therefore you have to get the double dose. But it's worth getting. Uh, We know that it not only avoids the flu, but some people say, well, I got the flu anyhow, but the flu may only last 24 hours instead of two weeks. So get out there, start getting the flu shot now. Uh, And Believe me, it's not expensive. I, I don't, you know, if you go to CVS, I think it's free if you have insurance. If you don't have insurance, we just have to protect the population. And that means other things, right? So when you're in church on Sunday and everybody wants to shake hands, just say no go, okay? We need to understand no hugging, kissing, f- physical contact with people you don't know who may be sick. Same thing on a plane, right? So. It's important, and it's not the filtration system. I've done some reading on this. Worth bringing Purell on the plane. Don't drink the water on the plane unless it comes out of a bottle. Keep the vent open above but not blowing on you so that air keeps circulating in the plane itself. Don't be embarrassed. I bring those wipes. There's Purell wipe. There are Clorox wipes. Before I touch anything in that seat, I'm wiping it down. I'm wiping down the tray in front because they're often not cleaned. Wipe down the seatbelt. Wipe down the arms to the chair. And I have to tell you that since I've been doing that, I do not recall being sick on a plane. And I used to get it all the time. I'd land. I'd be congested and sneezing. So something worth remembering now that we're in flu season. Next thing I wanted to mention was in the news we've heard Bernie Sanders had two stents put into his heart. And I want to have a more extensive conversation this month and get a cardiologist on because so much has changed. So right away, when we hear somebody had to have stents put in, we think, oh, my God, they're on their deathbed. You know, this has almost become an outpatient procedure to put stents in. And often people feel better after they had the stents because they were struggling. Their heart was struggling to pump, and now— 
they've been able to get more circulation to the heart and the heart muscle. So a lot depends on whether or not there was dead muscle as the response to that occlusion and if the amount of blood their heart was pumping was down. But again, we're going to try and get a cardiologist on and really talk not just about that, but heart disease, because that is a field that's changing dramatically. I want to close this segment talking a little bit about outdoor gyms. We're seeing more and more of them. I know when you go on vacation and even locally, you'll see it in Farmington. They have trails with these various pieces of exercise equipment. And there are companies out there. This National Fitness Campaign is a group that goes out and installs this equipment. And it's changed. It's no longer just the wooden materials anymore. Now they have plastic. They're setting up trails and obstacle courses for all people to use. This is important. It's important for us to stay healthy and utilize these facilities and make them more available. Things like bike paths, bike safety, uh, walking trails are so important, not only for our own individual health, but the health of our country because it's costing a lot of money to provide health care. So the more we can stay healthy, the better off we're all going to be. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Kristen Zarfos, and we're going to be chatting about breast cancer. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. Phone number's here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You could also email me live on the program at info at alessimd.com. So sometimes you're a little shy, don't want to come on the air. Just text me or email me over your uh, question. Uh, the other way is if... If you're only getting part of the show and you say, geez, I wanted to hear that, but I have to go or whatever, you can download the podcast. The podcast is available on iTunes and at radio.com, just Healthy Rounds podcast. So with that, my guest here in the studio is Dr. Kristen Zarfos. Dr. Zarfos is the medical director of the Call Krepek. Did I pronounce that right? Is it Krepek? Krepek Senior Comprehensive Women's Health Center at St. Francis Hospital. She is a surgeon and a specialist in breast cancer and diseases of the breast, and she works at Trinity Health of New England at St. Francis Hospital. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So let's talk a little bit. How did you get into this business? Well, I went to medical school to be an internist. Uh, you did? I did. I had University of Maryland is where I went to medical school, and I intended to go back to my small town of Hagerstown, Maryland, and practice internal medicine. Along the way, in my training as a medical student in that era, I, I was had the opportunity to work with uh, surgeons at Johns Hopkins, and they not only operated, but they, f- they took care of the perioperative care, and I was hooked that I could take care of the medical problems, but also operate. And that really is what's important in breast care. 
So what was it like going through a surgical residency? Because we, we talked a little bit about age, okay? And we're from a little bit different era than it is now because I'm sure half your medical school class were not women. You're absolutely right. And I know you have daughters right. who are neurologists. Um, my class was the first class that had 25% women. Until then, it was only 2% women in the class. So Therefore, I was the first wave of female medical students and the first wave of general surgeons. And it was an interesting era. Uh, I found that I had no problem with the patients and credibility. And people just needed to understand I was there to learn to be a surgeon, not to prove anything else. And I've had a very positive training experience both at Yale and Bay State and a positive experience even when I started out as a general and vascular surgeon in Middletown, USA, Middletown, Connecticut. Why breast surgery? Why breast cancer? Let me ask you, what makes the breast so special? Well, why breast surgery? First of all, the women that we have a chance to learn and become a part of their lives are incredible. They're really my heroes. They go through an era of, of first being diagnosed and being frightened. They have family support and some don't, but they're amazing women. So the internist part of my... Uh, desires to be a doctor help them through the process and then the surgical skills help take care of the issues that need to be addressed uh, these are phenomenal women and I learned so much from them um, what's important about the breast well oh my goodness it's part of our motherhood it's part of our identity their societal issues but let, let's just boil it down nobody wants to have cancer and the threat of having cancer and maybe it recurring and the change in how your body's going to feel and look is more than synergistic on the impact on women. You made an interesting comment about how these women are your heroes, but you spent time as a general and vascular surgeon, so you worked on men. Yes. A difference? Oh, no. I love taking care of no, men, too. No, I know. But, I mean, is there a difference in their approach? For example, I treat a lot of athletes. Athletes have a different approach to disease in the sense that they almost ignore you. They they just think you go back to the gym and, and you work through it, even if you have Lou Gehrig's disease or you have cancer. Uh, they have a different mentality. And, and I think that uh, I just gather what you're saying is maybe women have a different approach to disease. Is, is it? Would well, you think the good so? news is or men and women are different and we complement each other. We went to medical school, so we know that. And the key is being be able to be in tune in, with each individual, whether male or female. Now, I just recently in the last six months, I've had two men with breast cancer and there are only about 2,500 men who develop breast cancer in the United you States. You jumped ahead on my list here, but that's a great one no, because but, I did want to bring that up. Yes. So 2,500? Yes. And two, uh, and in my career, I've had about eight or 10 men. And that's over 32 years. But in, in a short period of time this summer, I had two wonderful men that, that I helped uh, through the process and did their surgery. Um, I think rather than categorizing men and women, how they cope is just looking at each individual and what they bring to it, their family history. You know, if a woman's had, uh, her mother's had breast cancer, sometimes she sits just waiting and eventually it's going to happen, which is not necessarily true, though she's at an increased risk. So I, um, rather than giving a generalization about men and women, my job is to tune in to how they're coping, what their fears are, and individualize that care and maintain their dignity through that whole process. What are the numbers like now? Well, the good news is the death rate from breast cancer continues to go down each year, 
primarily because of screening with mammography, but also because of treatments. We have both oral and chemotherapy. Um, so if you look at the denominator of the number of women get breast cancer, more women are found at an earlier stage, another uh, a proportion uh, which we're glad is growing that we find it early because it's a good prognosis, 99 to 100% cure rate. But I want to throw out a number here. We talked- Please earlier about age, the denominator is becoming larger for women who, de- who um, develop breast cancer because our internal medicine colleagues are having women live longer. So an interesting number that most women don't know is the highest incidence of breast cancer is women in their 70s and 80s. And you and I know when we went to medical school, you never saw a spry 90-year-old or an 80-year-old. And now there are dime a dozen a lot of wonderful women who are robust and healthy so we'll see more women develop breast cancer because women are living longer which is a good thing that's amazing that's an amazing statistic that i was certainly not familiar with uh, we have a couple of minutes can you tell everybody what is a mammogram a mammogram is an x-ray of your breast and it's done in two different dimensions One is where they look at the breast from the top to the bottom and the other from the side. And it's an x-ray that can find cancers. It's important for women to know that 10 to 15% of breast cancers might not show up. So if a woman has found some change in her breast, and even if her mammogram is okay, she needs to see a clinician, her primary care physician, PA, APRN, to have her breast examined. Mammograms save lives. The data is has just been re-crunched and it's out there and it's true. That x-ray can save your life, but it's not the totality of how we make a diagnosis. Right, because then we hear about ultrasounds of the breast. Yes. Ultrasound and then MRI of the breast. Yes. So are those the next stages or is one better than another? So let's break it. They complement each other. Sure. Great question. So we use mammograms if we find a lump per se. Uh, a mammogram will be uh, used to assess it, but also an ultrasound determined if it's fluid-filled sac, which we call a cyst or solid. And for women who have dense breast, an ultrasound is a good screening tool to find seven out of a thousand cancers that might not show up on mammogram if breasts are dense. And MRIs are an additional tool that can complement in a certain population of women who are at increased risk. Uh, Sometimes we find uh, MRIs that find cancers not on mammograms. So a patient might present with a cancer in one breast, we'll do an MRI, and we may be surprised to find a cancer in the other breast, which we otherwise would have missed. Do you think that that's, well, what about self-exam? Oh, it's interesting. I would never tell a patient not to examine themselves. I mean, remember, when we were in medical school. We want people to be proactive in their health. We want them to know what the normal is of their breasts, how their breasts look, is there drainage, if they feel anything different. Um, there is a theory that self-exam, that's kind of demeaning to women, that too many women find too much, quote, stuff, unquote, that's not really important. But I would never tell a woman to not know her breasts and be See a professional if she finds a change. I'm going to put a bookmark on that. We're going to take a break, but I want to put a bookmark there because it's one of my pet peeves, right? With the president's council and their advisory, blah, 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 okay, that I've been very critical of on this show for the last several years. So we're going to take a short break. We're talking about breast cancer with Dr. Kristen Zarvos here on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. 
And the phone number's here, 860-522-9842. That's 522-WTIC. We're having a great chat uh, with Dr. Kristen Zarvos. And Dr. Zarvos is the medical director of the Women's uh, Breast Center, the Women's Health Center. Before we forget, can you give the contact information for people who are listening and want to contact you and uh, get involved in the Women's Health Center? Absolutely. So our contact number at St. Francis is 860-714-6318, specifically for mammograms, ultrasounds, or seeing a breast surgeon. Also at stfrancischare.org. This is a great time, of course, because it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month to talk about mammography. And I really want everybody out there to know that if you don't have insurance or you have huge co-pays, do not let that be a barrier to you taking care of yourself. Mammograms are important. And on October 24th from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. at St. Francis Comprehensive Breast Center, Uh, at St. Francis Hospital. There will be a free mammogram day and also at three other locations. You can access that information on our website or call 860-714-6318. Can I talk to you a little bit about how mammograms are done at St. Francis Breast Center? Absolutely. So the concept started long before I was at St. Francis. It started 20 years ago and it was originated by Dr. John Z. Watts, who's a radiologist. He started the concept that patients should have their mammogram and have the results given to them that day. Now, most places in this country, a woman will have her mammogram. She receives uh, her report by letter, or if there is an abnormality, she receives a phone call or a letter somewhere anywhere a few days or 10 days after your mammogram. Can you imagine, you think you've had your mammogram, you haven't heard anything, and you get this message that you have to have come back and have more views. Dr. Z. Watts started this 20 years ago where women would have their mammograms. If they need additional imaging with other mammograms or ultrasounds, it could be done the same day. And that was expanded also 20 years ago with surgeons who would be willing to see patients that day. So for two decades, St. Francis has held women in 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 respect and dignity that they should not have to worry. They should not have to wait. And we continue to do that now at the St. Francis Comprehensive Breast Center. It's so appreciated that you understand that nobody wants to hear there's something in your breast. We're not sure what it is. It may not be bad. See you in six weeks or see you in six months. Okay. So that is so crucial to taking care of women. But I want to get back to where I put the bookmark. And that is Mammograms and self-examination. We heard from the U.S. Advisory Council, must be about 10 years ago, right, when they said women don't need, uh, and I may be misquoting them, but women do not need to have annual mammograms until age, was it 50? Yes. Okay, age 50, which I found unbelievable. Me too. Okay, because we're always hearing about young women who have either identified a mass on self-examination, who have a family history, or, or just out of the blue or in the shower notice a, a mass. Yes. Okay, that may it, this may have been before they felt that mass. This may have been avoided. So let me get your take on this. Well, I'm a product of 32 years of women teaching me what I know and what's important. And all I can say, the most important thing is if a woman has found her breast cancer on self-exam, 
you could never dare say she should have never examined herself. Or if a young woman has had a mammogram and it found her cancer early at an early stage, those women represent the value. So I'm sort of a common sense doctor learning from my patients that mammograms statistically can save lives and we have to be cognizant that a lot of these studies are based on statistics, not on each individual person. So I echo what you're saying. And so does the Comprehensive Women's Center at St. Francis. We believe that women should be proactive in their health and we would never be so demeaning to say, oh, honey, don't do your self-exam. Don't have your mammogram. Don't worry about that. It hurts a little bit to have a mammogram, a little pressure, but it's a few minutes of pressure that give you 365 days of the year comfort in knowing that you've been proactive and taken care of yourself. On the flip side of that, right? they also thought there was an end date to when you need to have mammograms, yes. right? Wasn't that age 70? Well, or, the U.S. Preventive Task Force said 72, and what's 72. interesting is the highest incidence of breast cancer 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and today is in women in their 70s and 80s. Now, how frequently we see women, they say, oh, I'm too old to have a mammogram. No, no, no. If a woman is robust in her 70s, 80s, or 90s, it's important that they should be encouraged to continue to take care of themselves. See, and and that's something we try to profess on this program is a lot of these guidelines are generalities. You have to know your patient. You have to know what they are capable of and what they can do. And and in that case, again, we want to reiterate, get your mammogram. Yes. And self-examination does help. It does. And I also want to emphasize if women have been told that their breasts are dense, Connecticut took the lead in legislation that shows that if women have breasts that are reflected to be dense, in other words, their breasts look very white on mammogram, seven out of a thousand cancers could be missed. Connecticut passed legislation that insurance companies need to pay for a screening ultrasound. So if a woman receives a letter or is told her breasts are dense, she also should have a screening ultrasound. And our state and subsequently 20 other states have legislation to give women the right to have that screening ultrasound that might find a cancer that otherwise would be missed. Let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, exercise, diet, kind of the non-medical things that you can do to avoid breast cancer or become part of the treatment of breast cancer? Well, this is a very positive thing that we can do without taking a pill, being physically active. So a study that dates back to 1998 as published in the New England Journal of Medicine that you mentioned earlier and has been reproduced over and over. If you're physically active four hours a week, you can decrease your risk of breast cancer considerably. So I think it's important that if you're tired, you just don't feel like exercising, but you're a very spry man. You know that if you're a little tired and you exercise, you have more energy. It's important for all of us, and it's never too late, despite what decade we are in right now, to find something you enjoy. As you know, I took a two-hour walk with uh, two of my friends today. It may be walking, biking, yoga. Find what you like and do it and keep moving. Is there evidence that that helps people with, I I know there isn't cancer in general, but in breast cancer? Yes, yes. 37% decreased risk of developing breast cancer. Uh, if you exercise or are physically active four hours a week. Now, that could be also raking leaves, which we 
it's timely. It could be shoveling snow, and that's a four-letter word we don't like to think of in Connecticut. It could be vacuuming. Keep moving. It's never too late to start, and then keep moving. Um, also, there's data that you can decrease the risk of breast cancer recurring with physical activity, with exercise. So that's really powerful. Okay. Another controversial topic, prophylactic mastectomy. Prophylactic mastectomy. And let, well, let's explain. This is, it became famous. Angelina Jolie had mastectomies to avoid breast cancer because of a strong family history and a genetic aberration of some type. So again, is that accepted? Uh, how, how do you get to that conclusion? So certainly women who have a strong family history of breast and or ovarian cancer can benefit from genetic counseling and testing. And at St. Francis, we have genetic counselors. There are people who have a master's degree in genetic uh, counseling who can then help women to un and men uh, know whether they should have testing to see if they carry certain mutations in their genes that reflect an increased risk of developing breast cancer. If one carries a mutation in genes that are called BRCA1 or BRCA2, then we know those women have a 70 to 85% chance of developing breast cancer. In Angelie Jolie's case, and let's give her credit because she brought attention that all of us should pay attention to family history, not just breast or ovarian cancer. I believe her mother had ovarian cancer. That's why she was tested. And then Angelie had a prophylactic mastectomy. And it certainly is acceptable that if a woman carries those mutations to have the choice, and I want to emphasize the word, have the choice to have prophylactic mastectomies. There is also data going back to November 2010, published in the journal Surgical Oncology, reputable study that showed if you carry the BRCA genes, you do not have to immediately have your breasts removed if you're followed with annual MRIs. You raised MRIs earlier. Sure. And an MRI is a good screening tool, just as a mammogram is a screening tool for general population, if a woman has a strong family history of breast cancer or carries those mutations. So to answer your question, it's appropriate that a patient knows that she has a choice of preventive or prophylactic mastectomies, but she also has a choice that if she does not want to lose her breasts, that she could be followed with annual MRIs. And it, that study showed equivalent survival. I must hasten to say, though, if a patient has a BRCA mutation, either in the gene one or two, her ovaries need to be followed very closely. And at the point that she has completed her childbearing, her ovaries should be removed. So prophylactic oophorectomy is very important to consider in patients with these genetic mutations. Prophylactic mastectomies is one option, but there is another option along with close monitoring if she chooses not to have her breasts removed. That, that is so helpful to know. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back because we want to talk a little bit about the treatment of breast cancer and what's coming down that we need to know for all our listeners here on Healthy Rounds, especially with respect to receptors. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. This is our final segment. And we're chatting with Dr. Kristen Zarvos. Dr. Zarvos is a breast surgeon, and we're talking about breast cancer. Uh, one of the things we always hear about now are 
receptors, tumors and their receptors. Can you explain to our listeners what are the receptors and what significance do they have? Well, they have a huge significance in how we treat patients. So what has evolved is we targeted therapy. So if certain tumors have certain characteristics, there are drugs that are custom designed to target those cells. So we remove a tumor with surgery, and then when women are, need to receive a pill or chemotherapy, the science is remarkable how we have medicines that now can target certain characteristics. But what are those characteristics? So you mentioned the receptors. So if one thinks of an individual tumor cell, some tumors have receptors for estrogen, and that means the estrogen in a woman's body will fuel it. The estrogen didn't cause a tumor, but it can fuel it. Let's say that a different way. If you think about a tumor and a receptor, you can think of an electrical receptacle, right? That if you plugged it in, it would turn the cells on. Sure. I like to describe it as like an ignition in your car. If you have an ignition, you can put a key in. You can turn this, the car on or off. If a woman's cells have receptors to estrogen in their body and progesterone, there are pills that can target those receptors and turn them off. So it reflects targets that can... Any cells that might be residual elsewhere in the body, they can be turned off. And so receptors are really important. A third characteristic on the surface of the cells called HERNU2, doctors like fancy words, let's forget the name, but if a patient has that characteristic, which only 10% do, there are drugs that target those to take what otherwise might be uh, a prognosis that bodes being difficult to being a prognosis that is much better. We're hearing more and more about women who have a lumpectomy, don't need radiation, don't need chemotherapy, some need chemotherapy, some need all. How is that decision made? It's very um, basic. We break down type of surgery is separate for whether you need chemo or not. So women have the choice of having a lumpectomy if their tumor is less than five centimeters, only one tumor in the breast, we can remove it with clear edges, known as margins, and they have they can receive radiation. So for example, if you're pregnant, you can't receive radiation, but it's a very small number of women who can't have radiation. Chemotherapy is called systemic therapy. So surgery is called local therapy. Systemic is based on those receptors that you asked about. Um, if there are tumor cells in the lymph nodes, the characteristics of the tumor and the characteristics of the patient, her health and her age. So there are two different aspects of treatment. One is local. So one might have a mastectomy and still need um, to have chemotherapy, but it all boils down to looking at the patient individually, her health and the characteristics of her tumor. You and I uh, were raised in the era of the radical mastectomy. Every woman got it. And, and Honestly, I remember those days, and I mean, that was fairly brutal surgery. Yes. That every woman got. I mean, we were taking pectoral muscles. and Is that relatively rare that you have to do that now? Well, I've never done a radical mastectomy. Really? No. Even though I've been practicing for over 32 years, it, it, it the science has shown that it's not necessary. I am so happy to hear it that. It does not improve survival. If That a may be why I never became a surgeon <laughs> right there. Okay. If a patient has a tumor that's invading the pectoralis muscle, then a portion of that muscle needs to be removed. The great thing about research, not only in the treatment I talked about targeted therapy, but what we do less surgery. Each decade, we do less with the same outcomes. In other words, the good news is that research has shown us that we could, 
We can do fewer mastectomies, unless a woman really chooses that, if she chooses not a radical mastectomy. And women have the choice, even if they don't have to have a mastectomy, they have that choice as long as they understand that there's uh, no difference in outcome. When they have a choice to lumpectomy or radiation, no improvement in survival having the breast removed. May I say it a different way? Please. Most women who come in who have breast cancer say, A, I have breast cancer. B, I don't want to ever get it again. C, I want to be alive for my children. So just take my breast off so the cancer won't come back. But it's important for patients to know that even when you do a, uh, what's called a total mastectomy, not a radical mastectomy, there's still a 5 to 7% chance of the cancer coming back. And that's why since 1985, the clinical research shows if women's tumors meet those characteristics I just described, she can have a lumpectomy and radiation and have a 5 to 7% chance of the cancer coming back. With mastectomy, it's a 5 to 7% chance. It's a very important fact that women need to be equipped with to know what choices they do have for local treatment, what surgery to have, and for systemic therapy. But it's important to know that taking the breast off does not 100% eliminate the chance of the cancer coming back. In the last minute, what do we need to know about the treatment of breast cancer in the future? It's exciting because with more targeted therapy, the genetic analysis of individual tumors, we can say to a woman, yes, you need chemo or no, you don't. And now we can individualize it. And just as the St. Francis Comprehensive Women's Center tries to treat women as individuals with dignity and respect and how we, our whole team, all our employees do. So don't we have more and more options each day to provide that and the actual cancer treatment. And the contact information, once again. 860-714-6318 or our website, stfranciscare.org. Remember October 24th, if you don't have insurance or a big copay, do not let that be a barrier to taking care of yourself. There are free mammograms on that day at four different locations, including the Comprehensive Women's Center. Thank you. Thank you for your time thank today. You. And thank you for what you're doing. Thank you uh, for your, having us. Your job uh, every day is, is just so rewarding, not to you, but you're helping so many women in the state of Connecticut. Well, we're very uh, lucky to do that. And St. Francis is glad to do that. Many thanks to our studio producer. Mikey Oakle has been on the board. Jeff Chandler's in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Next week, we'll be back with another live program. Hopefully, we're going to get a cardiologist on. We want to talk about the heart and all these new innovations that have been happening with cardiac surgery and stents. Don't forget the Healthy Rounds podcast. You can download that free by going to iTunes or going to radio.com. Next up on WT is going to be Garden Talk with Len. Please remember to help save lives. You can do that today, like right now, and by becoming an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Just go to registerme.org. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, MD Advantage, UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.